Welcome to Alabama Short Stories, when you're a little behind on your Alabama history. I'm your host, Sean Wright. Every four years, citizens in our country go to the polls to vote on a presidential candidate of their choice. Each vote also includes a vote for a vice president running with the presidential candidate as well. Franklin Roosevelt's first vice president, John Nance Garner, famously said the title is Not Worth a Bucket of Warm Spit. It's a role that has always been up for interpretation throughout White House administrations, with the vice president ready to step in or step back, whatever the case may be. John Adams, our very first vice president, called it the most insignificant office ever the invention of man contrived or his imagination conceived. In his case, it was the bitter consolation prize. You see, he came in second place in the race for president, and that was how the vice president was chosen at the time. For much of our history, vice presidents had no specific constitutional duty except to cast tie-breaking votes in the U.S. Senate. A vice president is often chosen to balance out a ticket, not because they have a great relationship with the presidential candidate. Some presidential candidates may have only just met their party's vice presidential candidate when they received their party's nomination. It can make or break a campaign or be as insignificant as some earlier vice presidents considered their role. No matter how they got there or what kind of relationship they have with the president, they are a heartbeat away from the presidency. Consider these incidents where a vice president became president. In 1841, William Henry Harrison died just 31 days into his presidency. He was just the ninth president, and there was a brief constitutional crisis because the United States Constitution did not fully define some aspects of presidential succession. Congress cleared things up, and Vice President John Tyler was sworn in as president. In 1850, Zachary Taylor served just 16 months before he died suddenly of a digestive ailment. Taylor's presidency was described as a more forgettable president than a failed one. His vice president, Millard Fillmore, was sworn into office. In 1865, Abraham Lincoln was assassinated and Andrew Johnson became president. Lincoln chose Johnson because he was from the South and he wanted to show a message of national unity. Johnson favored quick restoration of the seceded states to the Union without protection for the former slaves, contrary to what Lincoln had fought the war over. It just goes to show that choices do matter. In 1881, another short-term president, James Garfield, was assassinated after only four months in office. Garfield did not die from his gunshot wounds, but from the infections caused by his doctors. Vice President Chester A. Arthur was sworn in and served the rest of the term. In 1901, William McKinley was assassinated at the beginning of his second term in office. Vice President Theodore Roosevelt succeeded McKinley as president. In 1945, Franklin D. Roosevelt was serving in the middle of his fourth term as president when he died. It was at the end of World War II and Roosevelt was in failing health. He was at the Little White House in Warm Springs, Georgia, where he had gone to gain strength for an upcoming event. While sitting for a portrait, he slumped forward. His doctor diagnosed a massive intracerebral hemorrhage. 
He died later that day. Vice President Harry S. Truman was sworn in and was expected to lead the United States to victory over the Axis powers. In 1963, John F. Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, Texas, and Lyndon Baines Johnson was sworn in as president. In all incidents of a vice president succeeding the president while in office, it was because of a death. But in 1974, Richard Nixon resigned in disgrace because of the Watergate scandal, and Vice President Gerald Ford was sworn in as president. A month later, Ford issued Proclamation 4311, which gave Nixon a full and unconditional pardon for any crimes he might have committed against the United States while president. Ford did not retain his office in the next election. Some vice presidents have succeeded the president they served under through the election process. The last vice president to become president was George H.W. Bush, who succeeded Ronald Reagan in 1988. Alabama had its share of vice presidential candidates. John Sparkman had served for nine years in the House of Representatives and was a senator when Adlai Stevenson tapped him to run as the Democratic Party's nominee for vice president in 1952. Stevenson and Sparkman would be defeated in the general election by the Republican candidate Dwight D. Eisenhower and his vice president, Richard M. Nixon. Sparkman would continue to serve in the Senate until 1979. Now, if the Stevenson-Sparkman ticket had won, Sparkman would have been the second United States vice president from Alabama. The first was William Rufus King in 1853. William Rufus King was born in North Carolina in 1786, the son of a Revolutionary War veteran. King was educated in private school and attended the University of North Carolina. He left before he graduated to pursue the study of law and indirectly learn the ways of politics, which is where our story is headed. After serving in the North Carolina House of Commons, King was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives from North Carolina and served three terms. King always dreamed of traveling outside the United States and was able to do so when in 1816 he was appointed to the staff of William Pinckney, who was the new U.S. Minister of Russia and the Kingdom of the Two Sicilies. After his position ended, King traveled throughout Europe, returning home in late 1817. While he was gone, the Alabama and Mississippi territories saw a land rush as settlers searched for good farmland. In the years before King left for Russia, Andrew Jackson had fought the Creek Indians in the Alabama Territory, effectively taking control of their land. This action enabled more and more people to move into these territories safely. King joined the migration in 1818 and purchased land on a bend in the Alabama River in Dallas County, known as King's Bend. He developed a large cotton plantation run by slave labor, and he called the plantation Chestnut Hill. He may have operated a plantation, but his career in politics was not over. He was a delegate to the Alabama Convention, which organized the state of Alabama in 1819, and he wrote much of the original Constitution of Alabama. The state legislature elected him as the United States Senator. He served there until 1852, except for serving two years as United States Minister to France during President James K. Polk's term in office. James Buchanan and William Rufus King had an unusually close relationship. As bachelors serving in the government in Washington, they lived together for 13 years until King's death. 
There was even talk about the two of them running together as president and vice president. They got the opportunity at the 1852 Democratic National Convention, which was held in 1851. King supported Buchanan to be the presidential candidate, but it was not to be. Franklin Pierce of New Hampshire was nominated on the 49th ballot. Now, to appease the South, William Rufus King was selected as the party's vice presidential candidate on the second ballot. Franklin Pierce won the general election, but during the campaign, King came down with tuberculosis. He traveled to Cuba in hopes that he could regain his health in the tropical climate of the Caribbean. He was not in Washington on March 4, 1853 to take his oath of office. By a special act of Congress, he was allowed to take the oath outside the United States, the only one ever to do so. He was sworn in Mentanzas, Cuba, on March 24, 1853. Soon after, he traveled back to his plantation at Chestnut Hill, and he died two days later on April 18, 1853. He was initially buried in a vault on his plantation, but was moved to Selma's old Live Oak Cemetery. Selma was not an unusual location. Selma, which was incorporated in 1820, was planned and named by William Rufus King, whose plantation is just outside Selma. King never carried out the duties of his office and never presided over a legislative session. President Pierce never nominated another candidate for vice president. The office stayed vacant until John Breckinridge was sworn in with King's friend and roommate, President James Buchanan, in March 1857. After King's death, Buchanan described him as among the best, the purest, and most consistent public men I have known. William Rufus King, the first and only United States Vice President from Alabama. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Alabama Short Stories. If you enjoyed the story, there are a couple of ways you can help the podcast. The first is to tell a friend about the podcast. The second is to buy some merchandise from our store or donate to the podcast. You can find links at alabamashortstories.com. You can listen to the podcast on the website or wherever you prefer to listen and subscribe to podcasts. See you next time at Alabama Short Stories.